Coming to you live from a barbecue shack near you, it's the SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. We've got the sweet tea, the white bread, and a whole lot of slow smoke takes lined up. So put down your turkey burger, turn up the volume, and grab your hog, because it's about to be on. Oh, yeah. Now, say hello to your self-proclaimed food and sports experts, the utterly enthusiastic Holt Smash, and the one and only Tinder King of Memphis, Mr. JB the underscore Brooks. And now, here's your host, always full of ship, Alex Bullship One. Welcome back to the official SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. This is Week 10 Recap. I'm your host, Alex, joined by my two bros, Holt Smash and Mr. J.B. Brooks. Fellows, what's up? I'm doing pretty well, Alex. I'm about to uh, crack up in a cold one here and do this podcast with you. Uh, Holt Smash is uh, currently uh, getting his notes together. Uh, we got a lot to talk about tonight. You know, we had a, a you know a crazy weekend and breaking news today with uh, Willie Taggart being fired from Florida State. So that's the first domino of many dominoes that will be falling uh, in this year's uh, coaching carousel. I had no clue. We uh, were breaking up the notepad. It's it's getting serious today. Yeah, <clears throat> just uh, you know, try to make the best podcast we can make. Um, try to do the best we can here, and um. You know, just get, give it 110 uh, percent. That's what we do. And um, as far as how I'm doing, uh, I'm doing pretty good, but I'm definitely doing a lot better than Chad Morris is today. Did y'all realize that all three of our teams won this weekend? I did realize that. And it's pretty great. It is. Uh, I think we're all actually kind of excited to do the podcast this week. Um, usually, uh, at least like two of the three of us are in a bad mood while we record and kind of a little upset to talk about college football, but. You know, today we're all in a good mood. We're all happy. Um, you know, I think you're probably the most excited out of all three of us, Alex. Um, For sure. With that, with that, uh, the big win on ABC primetime over a top 15 team and uh, look good doing so. What What do you think happened first? Do you think Memphis beat SMU on ABC primetime game day and then Florida State decided to fire their head coach? Or do you think they figured out before Memphis won? and Mike Norvell looks good as a coach, that they were going to fire Taggart? No, I think it happened a little earlier in the day, uh, most likely when they lost at home by 17 points to a very, very bad uh, Miami team, uh, who happens to be the arch rival of Florida State. Um, absolutely embarrassing loss, and uh, Taggart got the foot in the rear end out the door. Did y'all hear his buyouts, $17 million. That is so crazy. That's uh, the second highest behind Charlie Weiss. Um, but, I mean, I know Gus Malzahn's buyout was like somewhere like in the $30 million range or something crazy like that when they yeah. were talking about buying him, buying him out last year or firing him last year. But $17 million is so crazy to fire a head coach. You must really suck, and they must really hate you if they're gonna, willing to pay that much. Yeah, and another crazy aspect is that the seventeen million dot buyout was came up with you know so quickly less than twenty four hours by private donations by their big donors 
So they all just banded together, you know, privately behind everyone's back and uh, came up with the 17 million and said, you know what, we're done with this. We're done with this shit. We're going to fire this guy. I can't wait till the day that SEC Slow Smoke makes it big enough to where we can just start firing coaches uh, left and right, whichever ones we don't like anymore. Yeah, I was about to say, we'll just be like the biggest donors at all our respective schools, and we'll just be like running everything. Yeah. But I'm not going to lie. I would actually come at it from the other direction. Instead of trying really hard to pay a bunch of money to uh, to fire like a coach like in my school, I would probably try to like go out of my way to like sabotage other schools um, and just make sure that like everything for them. Do you remember um, uh, it was like last week or co- not last week, probably a couple weeks ago now, um, somebody was talking to Spurrier and took a picture with him. And I think she went to Florida State or somebody went to Florida State uh, in the family. And then uh, Spurrier was telling the person they took a picture with like, yeah, uh, Tackett's a great coach there at Florida State. Y'all should keep him forever. Keep him signed up. Yeah, that was a couple weeks ago. That was pretty funny. Steve Spurrier's always good for a couple couple good one-liners. Yeah. But um, no surprise that they were that they fired him. I was surprised that they fired him this quick and it, they were able to come up with money that quickly. But um, man, I just it's just crazy how much people love football. I mean, you don't you don't know where like how rich that private owner is. Maybe he's a billionaire or she's a billionaire, so you never know. You know, seventeen million or whatever it is isn't that much money, but um, to me, it's still a lot of money. Yeah, I would say uh, we've made it big here at SEC Slow Smoke, but not quite that big. Not yet, not yet. Just we're gonna keep on grinding through it. That's why we got the notepad so we can make it that big. Hold, give me, give me a couple. You want to just give me a couple ideas what you got on the notepad? Or are you just gonna like kind of uh, spit them out here and there when it comes to your mind? Well, I've got a lot of hot takes about Arkansas and Florida, so um, I'm happy to talk about either one of those two. Um, let's well, well, right let's, now. Yeah, we'll we'll get in the flow of that. Um, Bigger news before besides Willie Tiger getting fired today. Did you know, which I guess isn't as big of a deal to y'all, but Popeyes has officially come back with the chicken sandwich today. Ah, uh, bullshit! We had the Popeyes chicken sandwich on Friday here in Memphis. It never truly left the Memphis market. Ooh, yeah. I guess they they knew that what they were working with is some hungry people that want that fried chicken in Memphis. Exactly. But. And also on the flip side, um, you know, Holt's got his topics. I've also got a topic I'm going to tackle myself tonight. We're going to. Uh, talk about a college football playoff and New Year's Six scenarios involving SEC teams and also a matchup that could really interest you with your Memphis Tigers. Yeah, let's uh, – man, it sounds like it's going to be a three-hour podcast, so let's just go ahead and get to the great stuff. So let's, before we talk about SEC football, let's, let's talk a couple minutes about the game day game uh, in Memphis. I'm assuming y'all didn't go to game day because I would have heard about it by now, I would imagine. Yeah, we decided not to. Um, I wanted to go, but – JB didn't really want to get up that early and deal with all of it, and I didn't really want to drag him down there, so we decided not to go. It it does sound so much easier just to sleep in instead of waking up at 5 a.m. or whatever it would have been to get there and waiting out. It wasn't warm either. It wasn't great weather. It was cold. It was, and there's a lot of people that were out there on Bill Street like all night, like, you know, just partying, waiting on the game day to start. And, you know, if we had left at the time we were going to at 7 a.m. and, you know, gotten out there, you know, 7.30, 7.45, we would have been at the very back of the street because the, the crowd was already lining up, like, you know, down the street, like, you know, around 4 or 5 a.m. Like, it was a very crazy night on Beale and a lot of Raven fans that, you know, have been waiting for this moment their entire lives, and they did not waste it. There's been – I'm trying to think the all the game day games this year. I think the 
The LSU Texas game was pretty good, but I mean, I don't know if I'm biased, but this was this was a fun game to watch. It might have been the most fun game this year for game day, um, especially if you like a lot of points and just big plays. There were big plays left and right. Uh, Paul, what was your favorite play of the entire game? I have two that I'm thinking of. Yeah, well, unfortunately, my favorite was actually an SMU play um, yeah. when Freeman just totally, just absolutely annihilated the safety to try to tackle him. Yeah. And then just ran for like a long touchdown. The game was already over at that point. Uh, Memphis had already kind of, um, you know, I think they were up by like three touchdowns at that point. But that play was just, uh, <laughs> that was just a really fun play to watch. It's just a good football play. Um, you know, usually safeties are the ones delivering the hits, and it's just good to see some offensive guys be the ones uh, to run people over. And then he finished it by uh, staying on his feet and then running, uh, outrunning the other safety all the way to the end zone. So that was just a really cool play. Yeah, it reminds me of that play. I think it was uh, it was Fournette. I think it was against Ole Miss where, like, they he basically – like, somebody made a meme on on Twitter, like, where he put somebody in a casket. Like, he just ran through somebody. Um, that's what that reminded me of. Yeah, it actually reminded me of a different Leonard Fournette play um, against Texas A&M um, was actually the play that I was thinking of when it happened. It was a little different, but um, – because it was closer to the goal line. But um, that's sort of what it reminded me of. Just absolutely just running over somebody. Too bad he's not having as good of a year in the NFL. Um, he was something crazy in college. Though. I mean, he, his sophomore year was definitely the best, but um, he was something else in college. Um, my favorite play, um, I'd like that play. And believe it or not, my favorite play is probably going to be from SMU as well. I like the, the kickoff return from Memphis. That was a big play. That was exciting. But um, the, like, double reverse flea, flea flicker touchdown, like it was like a 50 or 60-yard pass touchdown, that was so fun to watch. I mean, even though – it was against Memphis. It was still just fun to watch. I mean, that's something you do in, like, NFL Blitz where you, like, do the lateral five times and throw it down the field. But it actually happened in real life. Um, it, it just was really fun to watch to me. Yeah, that was a fun play. It was a fun game overall. A lot of uh, explosive plays, um, a lot of passing yards. Both quarterbacks played really well. Um, you know, just really just a fun game to watch. Not, if you like defense, maybe not so much. But definitely exciting, definitely a good game. And, I'm really happy for, um, you know, the Memphis fans and I'm really happy for the city of Memphis to uh, get to kind of be the center of college football for our weekend and um, get a big win and just a really cool, uh, really cool thing for the city. For sure. So let's relate this back to the SEC because now Memphis is good. There's two ways we can relate this back. They're, you know, maybe the leading group of five team for the New Year Six, but then the, I guess, most current or most relevant way to relate it back is Mike Corbell is the coach of Memphis and now there's teams that want to fire their coaches and have already fired their coach like uh Tiger at Florida State but also um I don't know JB do you think it's the consensus now among Arkansas fans everywhere in the whole state of Arkansas that they want Chad Morris gone yesterday yeah I mean I think uh all Arkansas fans are against Chad Morris now you, you remember uh like a little over a month ago when we put a tweet out and yep. we had some Arkansas fans get angry at, at us for saying, don't start this shit, you know, that we, that we're still supporting him. Well, I, you know, we pretty much said like, you know, you're going to turn on him really quickly. Like it doesn't take long for fans to turn on a coach, especially, you know, when they're not performing and not getting the results that they're supposed to get. I mean, especially when, you know, you went, to, they finished two and 10 last year and they're on the trajectory to maybe finish the same records last year at two and 10, maybe three and nine if they can get by a tough Western Kentucky team at home this week. So, I mean, they, it's not a good, it's not good times in Fayetteville. And I would say it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that Arkansas is going to have to fire Chad Morris. You can't keep a coach 
that goes two and ten his first season, and then potentially you know three, two and ten, three and nine in his second year. Like that's just that's not going to cut it. Yeah, and if you if you know he's not going to be better, then why why wait uh, another year to like give him <laughs> more time? I just don't I don't understand. Even if the buyout is high, you might as well just go ahead and buy him. Because think about this. I mean, Arkansas fans they love football, but I mean, if they bring back Chad Morris for a third year, think how much attendance is going to suffer in Arkansas. Oh yeah, like there's not going to be any, there's not going to be any optimism next season if they actually bring back Chad Morris. And you know that there's going to be a lot of season ticket holders that'll probably uh, cancel their tickets. Uh, like you said, not just you know in sales for tickets, but also just the enthusiasm around the program. Like they won't get as many donations. Uh, you know, merchandise sales will be down. Like everything is going to suffer. That surrounds the program if they bring back Chad Morris. I mean, just having you know that kind of negativity and you know basically apathy is going to be it can kill a program. And I think bringing back Chad Morris for a third year does more damage to the program than uh, you know you know firing him and then you know hiring another coach after only two years. Yeah, we don't know what the buyout is. I'm I'm in the process of looking up. I don't think y'all know what the buyout is yet. I haven't looked it up. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's probably, you know, between 10 and 20 million. I mean, it can't be that high. I mean, Chad Morris is making, I think, maybe around 2.5 million per year. I think maybe he signed a five-year contract. I mean, I don't know for sure. I mean, I can't imagine it's going to be that high. I, I would imagine it's probably less than what Willie Taggart's was. I'm looking at it now, and it's it's crazy that we're in a world where you think 10, 10 to 20 million isn't that much of a buyout, but that definitely is. It uh, is. Because people were complaining about Butch Jones' buyout, and his was like 9 million or something like that, right? It was, but also Tennessee at the same time was paying another buyout, and that's also <laughs> kind of <clears throat> that was going that was kind of the case for Arkansas paying Bielema's buyout. But as you know, they quit paying uh, Bielema's money, and Bielema's, you know, seeking, you know, litigation on it. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking at it now. If they fire him after December 31st, 2019, so from January from 2020 on, they fire him this after this season. It'll be 9.8 million. But the problem here is if you fire him um, after January 1st, or that's after, not happening. After December no. 31st, then you um, you kind of risk losing out on like a better coach. It's kind oh, of they're not they're not going to wait that long. Like that's 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 the end of the carousel in college. Like. They're gonna have to fire him uh, in November. I mean, they're like it's gonna be the latest they'll fire him will be the Sunday after the season ends for them. Like they're not gonna wait that long, and because if you do, you're gonna lose out on candidates. And I guarantee you that that I I just know. I mean, it's nothing confirmed. I don't know anything about Yurichuk, but I guarantee he's already got a short list being made right now as I speak. Like I, you definitely know he's he's thinking about it. Like because he's definitely feeling the pressure from. You know the fans boosters. and all the supporters around Arkansas athletics. Sure, the big boosters come along. That's where you feel the biggest pressure. Um, whole smash. Maybe, uh, maybe Joe Mo is actually a good coach. Maybe that's why Chad Morris looks bad right now. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna have to say that, like, um, if you watch that game, Mississippi State basically just ran the same play over and over and over again. It was just like a zone read, like right up the middle to Kyle Hill. And Mississippi State's offensive line just absolutely just went to work against the Arkansas defense. It just looked very uninspired and very just ready for the season to be over. Um, there was not a lot of trickeration to Mississippi State's offense. There was not a lot of, um, you know, explosiveness in the passing game. It was just a lot of power running right at the middle and not really a lot else to it. Um, to me, that was a situation of two teams – that knew that this was their best chance to get a win. Um, 
after a bunch of, you know, bad games in a row for both teams. And um, one team showed up ready to play and the other team didn't. I mean, maybe you could give some credit to Joe Moorhead. Um, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but, um, you know, I think this game said more about Arkansas than it did about Mississippi State. Yeah, it um, it definitely wasn't pretty for Arkansas. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's um, – you know, you watch that game as a, as a Mississippi State fan, especially – for you, Holt, because you, you haven't seen Mississippi State play well or win a game convincingly in a while. So, like, you're probably enjoying the game. But at some point, you have to watch the game and, like, w- watch them just run all over Arkansas. You, I don't know if you necessarily feel bad, but you're just almost, like, embarrassed to watch Arkansas play. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely pre- – you pretty much nailed, like, how I was feeling. Like, I mean, yeah, like, you know, leading all to the game, the way Mississippi State's season has been trending, like, their season had been trending towards a loss in this game. Like, it, it really had been. So – um, it was really, you know, I, the game was in doubt for me, like, before it started. You know what I mean? Like, I definitely felt like there was a possibility Mississippi State was going to lose the game. Um, and then, you know, to come out and, like, play the way they did, um, you know, really made me, um, I guess, happy. And then, you know, it was it was 17 to nothing, and then Arkansas had ripped off a long run. Rakeem Boyd had a long touchdown run. And... Um, at that point, I was starting to get, like, a little nervous, like, oh, maybe Arkansas is about to make a comeback. And then State goes right down the field on the next drive and scores a touchdown to make it 24-7. And then at that point, I pretty much knew the game was over. And, you know, basically from that point on, I mean, yeah, it was just like I just – I sort of just felt bad for Arkansas more than anything. Like, I felt bad for their fans who showed up. And, uh, you know, it wasn't, like, a big crowd, definitely. But uh, the ones who were there definitely, like, you know, made it known um, – they were, I mean, you know, I mean, they, they were, you know, obviously really into the game, but for kind of the wrong reasons. And, um, you know, it was good to see, like, when Arkansas put in their two backup quarterbacks that hadn't played much this year, um, Jones and then uh, Jefferson, um, you know, the crowd really came to life and it was really good to see. And the, there were at least, like, a couple bright moments for Arkansas, but, you know, overall, you definitely just kind of felt for them and, kind of their season because they're getting blown out at home by a very bad Mississippi State team. So we're all – the consensus right now is Chad Morris isn't going to be at Arkansas. He's not a good coach. He's not going to be at Arkansas that much longer. But I'd like to pose this question uh, to you all. Do you think Chad Morris would still have SMU at 8-0 right now if he was still the coach at SMU? No, I don't think so. Um, I think Chad Morris is a good recruiter. Not a great recruiter, but a good recruiter and just not a great coach. I, I think, you know, they say the whole, you know, oh, you got to give a coach a chance to bring in his players and, you know, all that stuff. And I definitely agree with that. Um, but I don't think you should have to be terrible for two years, you know, before uh, seeing like any progress. You know what I mean? Like, I still feel like, um, you know, you should definitely see improvement in the second year. If you want to have a really bad first year, that's fine. But by the second year, you need to at least be showing improvement. And they've actually gotten worse. And I just uh, – I'm not saying that Chad Morris is a terrible coach. Uh, but I'm saying that, like, right now, I think his ceiling as a head coach is, like, maybe a slightly below average head coach um, once he gets all his players in there. Because I think if he was a really good coach, that he would have his team moving more in the right direction in the second year. Um and I, I just feel like at this point, you're not really losing anything by firing him because yeah. I think he's already proven that he's not a good coach. 
And yeah. you know, maybe in the long term he ends up showing that he's an average to below average coach. But, I mean, why would you wait for that? Yeah, it's not the necessarily the losses that will make you so down as an Arkansas fan. It's the losses that are blowouts <laughs> and you're not showing any signs of improvement. That's what will kill your – your like fanhood, I guess, is that you don't have any hope towards a better season or a better, brighter day next year. It's just, it's just not looking great. Uh, JB, as <laughs> you've been in this situation with Butch Jones at Tennessee, even though Butch Jones had winning seasons at Tennessee, um, it ultimately didn't work out, and he got worse the last couple of years there. Um, Laying this back to you, JB. Um, as a Tennessee fan that's been in this situation, do you root for Arkansas? Do you think Arkansas roots for their team to lose the rest of their games just so they can, you know, confirm and go ahead and get Chad Morris out of there? Or do you still root for them to beat the big teams? You know, it's it's very uh, torn for a lot of fans, you know, in that kind of situation. I mean, as for me, I mean, I, I could never root against my team. I mean, yes, I you might want to root against the coach to look good. But uh, you still want your team to, you know, do well because it's not the players that you're that you're rooting. Because if you root against the team, you're rooting against the players too, and it's just not good to do that. And it, it's it's bad for the program, and it's it, you don't want that kind of negativity. Now, I mean, as for Arkansas fans, I mean, they can root against their team all they want; they're going to lose anyway. I mean, <laughs> they're they're playing LSU and they're playing Missouri, and West then, Kentucky, now. and then Western Kentucky. I mean, but they're, those those are two guaranteed losses. I mean, they don't have to root against them. They can, because they're going to lose anyway. But Western Kentucky is definitely a toss-up, and I mean, I, I even if they were to beat Western Kentucky and lose the other two, I mean, there's I still think Chad Morris is going to be gone. I mean, there's I don't even think there's any way he could save himself because I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, if they lose to Western Kentucky this next Saturday, I think he could be fired the following morning because they'll be they'll be sitting at two and eight, you know, going into two games that they're definitely going to lose. I mean, go ahead and uh, cut bait and get started on the search early. I mean, I, I definitely feel like he'd get fired next weekend if they lose. Yeah. For, for a school like Arkansas, there is an advantage to uh, firing your coach before everyone else. So you, everyone knows you're looking for a new coach and you can kind of get started on the search before everyone else. So I think that's kind of a big deal. Um, we're going to, we're going to move on to the Florida Georgia game, but I still want to talk about this game, this Arkansas team for a little bit longer. Um, who who is the shortlisted candidates hold for Arkansas? Is it is it anybody besides Mike Norvell? That's I guess what I'm really asking. <laughs> yeah, I mean I think Mike Norvell is probably the most realistic person that they would go after. But um, you know I still think they should take a shot at Mike Leach. I mean I think that's who they should try to hire. I think he's a perfect fit for Arkansas. I think he would definitely be interested in taking the job. I think with some of the young receivers they have, it, it wouldn't be, you know. It, it wouldn't be like a total change in the offense like you've seen with Chad Morris to Bielema and then, you know, from Petrino to Bielema. I mean, I know it was that year of John L. Smith, but it was still the same regime. But um, they basically had to, you know, totally redo their offense um, each time they changed coaches, which has really uh, hurt them the first couple of years uh, with each coach. Um, so I definitely think they should go someone more of a passing style offense um, if they, if, you know, if they can. Obviously, you just want to hire the best coach, but – um, I just think Mike Leach would be a really good fit there with some of those young receivers. And he's definitely shown that he can do a lot with a little. And, um, you know, I don't have any question that he can bring in a good quarterback to uh, to distribute the ball to those receivers and, um, you know, kind of make something out of what Chad Morris has been able to bring in um, and just be like a good program 
leader and plus I just I really want to see Mike Leach back in the SEC. That's part of the, the reason. I'm, <laughs> I'm really hoping that someone in the SEC hires them just so like you know SEC media days and like all that stuff. Just we need some more personalities to kind of spice things up a little bit because yeah. a lot of these coaches with like their boring coach speak and like stuff. I'm just kind of tired of it. Um, so maybe for like a little bit of my selfish reasons too, I would like to see them bring uh, Mike Leach down. And then mm-hmm. I know uh, one of y'all said Lane Kiffin. I don't think they should do that at all. I think that would be a big mistake if they hired Lane Kiffin. That's just my yeah. opinion. Yeah, yeah. and that's for my, yeah. I was gonna say there's also another few coaches that uh, that should be added to the list too. Uh, Lane Kiffin, he said, but and I, I can go ahead and give you a couple coaches that I think would take the Arkansas job if offered. Lane Kiffin would be one of them. I think Mike Leach would actually take it too. I think both of those guys really want to get back into the conference. I think they're definitely going to look at Mike Norvell. You know, he's from Arkansas. Who knows? He may have grown up a Hogs fan. I don't know what his uh, personal history is. But here's another guy that they could go after, and this might surprise you, but maybe Gus Malzahn, after he gets canned from Auburn, assuming that, you know, they fire him if he loses the Georgia and Auburn games. I think he's gone if they finish 8-4. and four. And, you know, crying away from Auburn two years ago, and Malzahn didn't take it. I wouldn't be surprised if Arkansas went and uh, hired uh, Gus Malzahn after he gets canned from Auburn, too. That's another to I watch would, for. I would love if they got Gus Malzahn. And I, I don't know if that is the consensus, because I know um, I know Mike, or Gus Malzahn was on the hot seat last year, um, but is that the consensus that he'll get fired this year if he goes 8-4? and four? I mean, I think he's going to get fired if they finish 8-4 and four with the two losses to uh, – to um, Georgia and Alabama, because that means they would have lost to Georgia, Alabama, LSU, and Florida, the four, you know, teams ahead of them in the conference, and, and also your two biggest rivals, too, in Georgia and Alabama. I think if if Auburn splits those games, if Georgia and Alabama finishes 9-3 and three and makes it to a New Year's 6, I mean, I think that Gus Malzahn will end up getting another year. But if they finish 8-4, and four, I think he will get canned. I mean, you got to remember, he was just about to get canned last year. Yeah. they decided. And they weren't – they weren't – they weren't uh, – like hesitating it's just for some reason it didn't go through but like they weren't i like because you sent me that text last year that like they're they're thinking about firing him like there's no way he has like a 30 million buyout that would be ridiculous but like it was it was getting some heavy traction that it was actually going to happen but it it ended up it was and i mean i do i mean i do think that a lot of the people you know that support auburn are definitely tired of him and i think if they finish eight and four they're going to consider the season a disappointment and i think he'd get fired the uh, Sunday after the season ends. I mean, I, I, I do think he, if they finish eight and four, he'll be gone. They need to be careful what they wish for in Auburn because I, th- I think Gus isn't a bad coach. And I honestly know what the coaching candidates are going to look like after Gus Malzahn is fired at Auburn, like who they could get, and that would be that much better. But we'll see. Um, one thing I want to say about Mike Norvell before we move on is that um, he's obviously a pretty good coach and he's done pretty well with Memphis. But I think he's a little bit overhyped than uh, – than how good of a coach he actually is. He's he's lost three straight bowl games, and um, there's been a few games where he should have won, like some of the big games against Central Florida where they had a huge lead and they let Central Florida come back. So I think he's a pretty good coach, and he obviously has a great offense. But I think, you know, obviously if he goes like 11-1 this year and wins the American, then, you know, that's that's a big improvement. But to me, like he – I think he would get eaten alive at Arkansas, and that's why I don't want to see him go there. I'd rather see him go somewhere where – um, is a better chance of winning against not as great of teams in the SEC West like that. But that's all I got to say about Memphis. We're going to move on to the SEC game of the week, which was the Georgia-Florida game. Uh, 
this game was going on before the Mississippi State Arkansas game, so imagine both of y'all are watching it live on the big screen. That's what I would think. Um, any takeaways from this game, Holt? Yeah, I mean, to me, the biggest takeaway in this game was um, Florida's offense, um, especially on third down. Uh, they really struggled in this game, uh, not really able to do much of anything. They were two of nine on third down for the game. Um, just really struggled to move the ball. Um, have, they did have a late touchdown drive in this one to, uh, you know, to make it a one-score game um, with like three or four minutes left. But, you know, the drive ended up taking like six or seven minutes off the clock um, when they really couldn't afford to take that much time off. Georgia just did a really good job of uh, putting the clamps on this uh, Damel on offense and Trask. Um, for the first time this year, I mean, I guess the South Carolina game, he didn't look too great for the first half, but uh, really did not look great in this one. Um, Florida just really struggled to move the ball pretty much in general, um, only getting uh, 278 yards of total offense. So um, definitely not a great game for Florida's offense. And, you know, you got to give Georgia's defense some credit. I think they're um, pretty much showing that they, they are the best defense in the SEC. Uh, I mean, they're right there with Auburn. I think it's definitely between them two. Um but just a really impressive performance by the Georgia defense. And, um, you know, going into the fourth quarter, Florida only had three points. So um, touchdowns in the fourth quarter, but, um, you know, Georgia kind of already established their lead at that point. JB, what's the deal with how Mullen uses Emory Jones in the game? Yeah, I think it's just, uh, I think it's more just to, uh, you know, please him and give him his, uh, you know, touches and let him, you know, basically saying that, you know, hey, you're getting your snaps. I'm giving you opportunities. Please don't transfer because I still like Trasmore and I think he's better. <laughs> I mean, that's basically all I think about it with it. But the, my biggest takeaway from the game was uh, George on third down in this game, especially uh, late in the game too. Jake Fromm converted a lot of uh, big-time third downs in this one. And this is this is when third and Grantham really showed its you know ugly rear head in this game. It was a lot of uh, bad third-down conversions at Georgia – ended up getting, and especially the last one when uh, I think Grantham sent the house, maybe seven guys on an all-out blitz, and uh, Fromm stood there flat-footed and threw an out route to, uh, you know, the receiver to uh, convert the third down and and ultimately end the game. So that was one of the best plays of the game, and that was my biggest takeaway, too, was uh, the third down that, uh, you know, Georgia converted to keep the drives alive and, you know, just keep the game in control. Oh, are you uh, glad that everyone finally got to see Big Game Dan come out? Did you see that someone on the SEC? I don't. I didn't see who it was, but everyone on Twitter was talking about how someone on CBS called Dan Mullen Big Game Dan, and like uh, I literally laughed out loud when I read that. Like, I mean, were you the first one to come up with that? Is that what you're saying? No, no. It's just funny because like Dan Mullen, like at Mississippi State at least, is like notorious for like never playing well in big games, especially when both teams were ranked. Um, I was looking at his numbers. I don't have them pulled up right in front of me, so I'm going off of memory. I think he's like 11 and 34 in his career against ranked teams. But I'm pretty sure when both teams are ranked, that number goes to like two and something. You know what I mean? Like he just like when his team is ranked and he's playing a ranked team, uh, he just does not perform well. Um, and that's pretty much been the story of his career. And a lot of people give Kirby Smart a lot of problems or a lot of, you know, heat for basically not playing well in big games and making a lot of bonehead decisions. Um, and, I mean, you know, granted, that is justified. I mean, he has been. But Dan Mullen has honestly been, like, even worse throughout his career. And we've got a little bit bigger sample size for him as well. 
Um, and, it, you know, Dan Mullen just struggles to move the ball on these kind of defenses. I mean, he just could not get the running game going at all. Um, just completely just zero running game for Florida in this one. Uh, Georgia was able to completely shut them down. And, uh, Mullen's just not really able to figure it out. And, um, you know, I mean, you just saw it like early in the game. They go for it on a fourth and inches, and then they throw the ball. Um, and, you know, they throw the ball on fourth and inches. I mean, th- that should just tell you everything you need to know right there. Like, he knows he can't he can't run the ball, and um, he's not able to come up with any schemes or anything to get uh, his playmakers involved on the ground. And basically got to do everything through the air. And uh, I just think Kirby Smart just really has Damon's offense figured out. Yeah. Do we um, are we able to finally give Jake Fromm some credit again here, Holt? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, JB really hit the nail on the head right there about um, the third down passing was huge for Georgia in this one. Um, you know, a lot of people are blaming Ty Grantham this one. I mean, Ty Grantham definitely didn't have his best game, but let's be real. I mean, Georgia's defense dominating Florida's offense to me was the story of the game. Um, I just I, I think that Florida's defense played well enough for them to win. Um, yeah, it would have been better for them to play good on third down, but they really limited the explosive plays um, aside from basically one play to Cager, a uh, long touchdown pass where they just kind of lost him in coverage. It was a really good play design where he came from the backside and looked like he was running a, and ended up cutting up field behind, um, you know, the post on the other side. So they didn't have anyone there to cover him. Really good play design. And uh, he was wide open for the touchdown. And aside from that one play, I mean, I, you know, Georgia's um, offense was was efficient but not explosive. And uh, they were able to hold them to some field goals and kind of keep them down a little bit. So, um, you know, I thought that Florida's defense played well enough um, to win the game. Uh, but Florida's offense definitely did not. Georgia is obviously a good team. Uh, probably, but yes, to, to answer your question, Prom did play well. George is obviously a good team, probably a great team, but I just don't always like watching them play just because they're they're kind of boring to me to watch. I mean, they they have good defense, and that's that can be exciting sometimes, but um, I don't know. It's just not it's not always exciting for me to watch Georgia play. But they're they're good team, and I, I definitely give them credit there. Uh, the other. I don't know. Maybe this was the most exciting game that SEC this week was the Ole Miss Auburn game. I didn't get to watch it as much because it was on, um, I think, at night during the SMU Memphis game. But um, JB, tell me what happened this game because all I know is that Auburn was in control of this game throughout the entire game, and then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, I see it's like fourteen to twenty, and like Ole Miss has the ball with a chance to like win it. Yeah, um, one of the biggest takeaways I had was missed field goals by Carlson. I mean. You know, he's one of the more reliable kickers in the conference this year, or at least, you know, leading up to this game. And he missed two critical kicks. And the most critical one, Alex, was uh, they were uh, driving down the field, uh, trying to kill the clock and, uh, you know, win the game. And uh, they, they got stopped on a third down in Ole Miss territory. Uh, I think it was at the Ole Miss 32 they got stopped. Uh, they had a uh, fourth and about maybe four or five, I believe. And um, the best one I was on had a tough decision to make. So we sent Anders Carlson out to kick a 49-yard field goal with a little over a minute left to try to pretty much ice the game and give him a two-possession lead. And Carlson uh, hit the uh, upright and uh, missed the field goal and almost ended up getting the ball back with a little over a minute left and one timeout. And here's the crazy – the craziest play of the game was a really bad holding call called on Ole Miss when uh, Plumley rolled out 
and I threw a long pass down the field, and it was completed into Auburn territory inside the 40-yard line. And that was really the, the big play that really killed Ole Miss's drive. It resulted in a 10-yard penalty. And Ole Miss just, you know, ultimately ran out of time as they tried to, you know, move the ball down the field with, you know, some nickels and dimes. And uh, they got down to, I think, maybe, you know, a little past midfield. But ultimately, uh, they weren't able to convert because they had a fourth down. And uh, Plumlee just had to heave it as he was getting, you know, pressure from the Auburn defense. Ole Miss isn't winning games, but they're competing. They look, they look better than when they started the year. Yeah, they definitely do. And, I mean, I think having Plumlee at quarterback definitely is uh... – a uh, good dynamic for this offense. Um, unfortunately, they're just not able to throw the ball at all. Only 99 passing yards in this one. And, you know, you pretty much stated it earlier, but Auburn controlled this whole game. Um, really, the difference in the game or the reason that it was a close game is due to the fact that Ole Miss was able to hold Auburn to field goals. Auburn was able to move the ball in between the 20s, but once they got down into the scoring position, uh, they were having to settle for a lot of field goals. And, you know, obviously missing a few um, was huge. And, uh, you know, you look at the numbers, and Auburn outgains um, Ole Miss by almost 250 yards. So, um, definitely played uh, really well. Um, or I definitely thought played a lot better than Ole Miss did. They almost doubled their yards total for Ole Miss. Um, well, Bo Nix had, like, a monster game. Yeah, yeah Bo, Bo Nix had a big game through the air, but they just weren't able to punch it in the end zone. Um, and then, you know, obviously the kicker missing the field goals. But, um, you know, you definitely have to give Ole Miss credit. Because uh, when you play good red zone defense, you know, you're going to put yourself in a chance to win a lot of games. And, you know, you you really um, – we really need to give a lot of credit to Mike McIntyre. I feel like a lot of people aren't talking about him. But um, Ole Miss had one of the worst defenses I've ever seen last year. And they're actually pretty competent this year. Um, you know, doing pretty well. Uh, obviously, yardage-wise, not great. But, you know, against the run, they were decent. Ever, you know, holding Auburn to 3.6 yards of carry. Um, you know, definitely need to show up some things in the secondary, but you know, they, they prevented the big plays for touchdowns. Um, so that was just, you know, it's just one of those things where like, if you let them move the ball, but they're not getting the ball in the end zone, then you're at least keeping your team in the game. And that's what Ole Miss's defense did in this one. And, um, you know, they definitely had a chance to win it at the end. Unfortunately, they just kind of ran out of time, uh, cause they were moving the ball. And I think if, you know, you put a couple of minutes more on the clock and, um, Ole Miss definitely could have won that game. Yeah, uh, which isn't good for Auburn. Auburn should have never been competing with Ole Miss. How much yeah, time? well, I mean, we, we kind of talked about this before on the preview, but this was definitely a trap spot or trap game for <laughs> Auburn uh, coming off of that, you know, big loss at LSU last week and a big emotional game. Ole Miss coming off a of bye week. This is kind of like their last chance to do something to make a bowl game. They're going to have to pull an upset against either Auburn or LSU, so – um, you know, Ole Miss definitely came ready to play, and I think Auburn was sleepwalking a little bit. But, you know, Auburn's able to escape uh, with the win, and, you know, that's, uh, that's where we're at now. It's just going to come down to the the Alabama and Georgia games at home for Auburn. If they're able to do something in one of those two games, maybe Malzahn can keep his job. But I think if they get blown out in both of those games, I think he's pretty much done. That's sad, sad, sad. But, hey, maybe he can, he'll be a coach somewhere else after that. I mean, yeah, I think Maybe Memphis can hire him. I'll be excited if they hire him because I know Norvell's going to leave one day. I just don't know when. But, I mean, I'll be excited if we get Malzahn. I mean, I think he's a pretty good coach. Yeah, I actually think Malzahn is going to rebound pretty well, too. I think he'll get a pretty decent job. Maybe not as good of a job as Auburn, but I definitely could see him getting, like, a pretty decent power pop job. Arkansas. 
Yeah. Well, especially like if you think about, I mean, if he stayed out of the power five, if he went into like the group of five, I think his, his like trick play offense, I think that would work great in the American or Sun Belt or something like that. I don't think he's going to coach in the Sun Belt, but I mean, he could definitely coach in the American somewhere or a power five job. And I think, I think like kind of high powered offenses work better, not in the SEC, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. I, I think wherever he goes, he'd have some success. Um, you know, he's not an elite coach, and that's really um, the knock on him, honestly, because he's pretty much hit his ceiling at Auburn. Um, I think he's pretty much done what he can do there, and I think he's pretty much shown that he's not going to consistently be competing for championships, that he's mostly just going to be an 8-4, and 10-2 and two type coach, um, and Auburn fans just want a little bit more than that, I think. Other games in SEC. JB. Is this the most complete game Tennessee's played this year? No, not no. not at all by far. Uh, the South Carolina game to me was the more complete game. <clears throat> I mean, they, uh, I have to give credit to UAB. I mean, their defense was really, really solid in this game. Uh, but the biggest difference was uh, Tennessee's defense forcing a lot of turnovers. Uh, uh, really by one player, uh, Bryce Thompson had three interceptions. And uh, there was another forced uh, fumble. Uh, that also led to another Tennessee score. It was really Tennessee's defense that played, you know, outstanding in this one. It was this, even though Tennessee scored thirty points, uh, their offense really didn't do a lot in this game. It was very vanilla. Uh, Garantano threw a really bad pick in the end zone uh, before halftime. Uh, I think they only got maybe something around three hundred yards of total offense in the game. I mean, it wasn't a lot that they did, but you know, they they won, you know, pretty handily. They controlled the entire game and against a really solid uh, UAB team and a solid group of five teams. I mean, that's what you can – all you can ask for. I mean, you know, you know, back in the first two weeks of the season, I mean, I think a lot of Tennessee fans were looking at that UAB game thinking that's probably going to be a loss because you know, a lot of people have respect for UAB. I mean, yeah. Bill Clark has done an outstanding job at that program, and he never gets enough credit for what he's done, you know, with, with UAB because it's impossible to win at UAB, and he's winning, and he's winning consistently. You know, you said UAB's defense played well, but, I mean, that's not really saying much for them playing well against Tennessee's offense because their offense is just not great, and it hasn't been the whole year. It hasn't been, but Tennessee's offense has definitely played better of late in the last few weeks, and it's really because of the offensive line. But uh, but also you got to think Bill Clark is a defensive guy too, and they also had a week off. So they had two weeks preparation for Tennessee. And, I, I mean, I think UAB is – a really solid team. I mean, Tennessee uh, came out and, you know, took them seriously and, you know, came away with a uh, victory. Kind of a – I don't know if I'd call it a vanilla game plan, but they definitely uh, did what they had to and, you know, beat a solid UAB team at home on homecoming. And now is, you know, where the work begins for Tennessee. They're going to try to make it to a bowl because they got two tough ones with Missouri and Kentucky on the road, and then they got Vanderbilt at home. They should beat Vanderbilt, but – they're going to have to win one of those games at Kentucky or Vanderbilt or at Kentucky or at Missouri to get bowl eligibility. Have Tennessee fans allowed themselves to get excited about the possibility of a bowl game yet? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of fans that think it's it's highly possible. I mean, I mean, the games with uh, Kentucky and Missouri are both would be labeled as toss-ups. I mean, Kentucky opened up as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. And you get three points for being the home team. So if this was a neutral side, I mean, it'd be pretty much a pick'em game. So it's it's definitely a, a winnable game for Tennessee. I think Missouri is too. I mean, it's just you don't you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, but I mean, I do think Tennessee is much improved from the beginning of the year. Yeah, you can 
attest that to his Pruitt and his staff for uh, getting his players better and, and uh, you know, weeding out some of the uh, cancer players. And, I mean, there's definitely been a lot of improvement from the beginning of the year. And, you know, it took care of business against a solid group of five opponent, which, you know, I can't say that's the same for a lot of, you know, schools in the SEC that have struggled with group of five teams this year, including Tennessee. That uh, that Kentucky game next week or whenever it is is going to be uh, a real. I mean, that's probably going to be one of the games we pick because that one's that was really tough because Tennessee's owned Kentucky over the long run, but I mean it's at Kentucky and Kentucky um, has looked better than Tennessee for most of the year, but Tennessee's only up and up, and it's just kind of hard to pick that one. So it'll be fun to pick that one going going on next week. Yeah, that that game is definitely a toss up. All right. Uh, other two games, Vanderbilt, South Carolina. Um, hold, like Tennessee, uh, South Carolina has a outside shot, uh, probably even more outside shot than Tennessee to get to the bowl game. Um, they got four wins now against with the win against Vanderbilt. They play at, at A&M and Clemson. Um, I mean, I know you don't believe in much, Champ, but can you get yourself a little excited for South Carolina going to a bowl game this year? I mean, I think they have to beat App State next week. I mean, to even have a shot, they got to be App State next week. Um, it's going to be a tough game. They're only a three and a half point favorite. App State's, you know, they're coming off a tough loss, but they are a really good team. And um, you know, Will Muschamp is as a pretty much say every time they play a team that isn't great. I'm like, he's he's prone to to fuck around with pretty much anybody. He's not really above. Um, he doesn't really believe in blowing out bad teams. Um, you know, even this Vanderbilt game, they were down seven nothing for almost the whole first half. Um, so I mean, uh, I just, I definitely don't think it's a sure win that they win this week. But if they do win this week, um, you know, maybe they could pull an upset against A and M or um, or Clemson. I mean, you know, I know that's probably saying a lot, but you know, a lot of people didn't think they were going to be Georgia either. I mean, I think that Muschamp has a way of getting his team ready to play. And you know, you look at last year's Clemson game and. South Carolina actually played really well. I mean, Trevor Lawrence played better, but um, mm-hmm. they played a really solid game against Clemson last year. They, you know, I think Bentley threw for like 400, 500 yards, something crazy um, in that game. So, you know, I mean, it's a robbery game. Anything can happen. And, you know, Texas A&M is definitely not unbeatable. So, I mean, yeah, if they get, if they're able to get the win over Ab State next week, then I could see uh, South Carolina in a ball game. Yeah, it'll um, it'll be fun to watch, especially. I don't know. I'm I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the App game next week, but I'm excited about the Clemson, especially if they beat App, just because they'll have a chance to go to a bowl game. And it's in Columbia um, after Thanksgiving. It'll it'll be it'll be fun to watch because I I feel like South Carolina South Carolina's gonna play out of their minds and be super hyped for to play the rival to get to a bowl game. And you know Clemson Clemson's good, but Clemson's good, but they're not Alabama to where like they won't lose to a bad team or compete. They won't play. Um, they won't blow out bad teams as much as Alabama does. Alabama doesn't like let anybody in the game, but Clemson, you know, they lost to Syracuse uh, here, and they I think I forgot who else they lost yeah, to. Yeah, Pitt. Yeah, and they, they're vulnerable to not playing, outplaying their competition when they're that much better. So it'll be fun to watch. Um, yeah, they're definitely going. South Carolina is definitely going to be up for that game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But here's another thing: like, what if App State comes and and beats, you know? You know, South Carolina and Columbia. I mean, South Carolina is looking at a four and eight season most likely because if you lose that game to App State, I mean, that's going to pretty much kill their season, and they're, they're going to be down in the tubes. And they still got to play at A and M and then host Clemson. You know, the final week of the season. I mean, they finish. You know, if they finish four and eight, I think Muschamp's definitely gone. I mean, even if they finish five and seven, don't make it to a bowl. I mean, I wouldn't even say Muschamp is totally safe either. 
I feel like he has a little bit of a longer leash than most because I think a lot of people understand how tough the schedule was this year. It is. I mean, the schedule was tough, and uh, he's taken him to a bowl every year so far that he's been there. I think if they finish five and seven, I would say more than likely he gets another year. But four and eight, I would definitely say it's a fifty-fifty shot. Yeah, it just depends on where the fans sit with him. I think fans like they don't him. they don't sit well with him. I think I would say I would say more than a little more than half the fan base has turned on Muschamp, but he still has more supporters than guys like Chad Morris and Joe Moorhead. The only other game for the SC that we haven't talked about is this A and M Texas San Antonio. There's really nothing to talk about. For this game, um, the only thing I want to ask uh, is this: I think this was the 11 a.m. kickoff game, so it was one of the first games I was watching. I think I was watching uh, the Michigan game, the Michigan Maryland game. I think it was, and I was watching that. And they like they do they broke in the game to show like uh, other game highlights, and they showed this A&M game and showed that Texas San Antonio scored first, and like it was like eight minutes left in the first quarter. I was like, oh, maybe I should watch this. So I was wondering. If y'all had this game on and you were like, oh, man, maybe this is something that's going to happen in this game. No, I mean, I, I thought that A&M, you know, would eventually settle down and, uh, you know, take over. And that's exactly what they did. I mean, UTSA had some pretty good teams uh, in the, when they had Frank, Wil- you know, Frank Wilson. Actually, is Frank Wilson still the UTSA coach? I think he is. Okay, so they have had some pretty good teams with Frank Wilson. But, I mean, they're kind of a little off this year and a little bit of rebuild. But – uh you know, A&M was expected to, uh, you know, win this one handily, and that's what they did. Uh, also want to give a shout-out to Sp- Isaiah Spiller. He had an incredible game. This was his breakout game of the year. He had 20 carries for 217 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, that was an impressive performance by him. Much needed for his confidence, too, as he uh, continues to grow and develop under Jimbo Fisher and, you know, his tutelage. Is he a, I'm going to guess, sophomore? I, yeah, he's actually a freshman. So, yeah, he's he's got a long, you know, career ahead of him in A&M. And, I mean, he's one of their, uh, you know, the future playmakers in that uh, offense for Jimbo Fisher. All right, so we're running an hour right now, but I feel like you all have a lot to talk about. So, um, who wants to start it off with one of your hot topics? And I feel like there's a lot that we haven't talked about that you all want to talk about. Well, I just have one thing real quick. Um, I did just want to give a shout-out to Vanderbilt's defense. I thought they played really hard in this one. Um, in the game against South Carolina. Um, didn't really get any help at all from their offense. Keyshawn Vaughn has still really struggled to get going. Um, really hate to see it. He's kind of like a – he's trying to do it by himself, but that offensive line has just not come together like we'd hoped it would. Um, after all the guys they lost last year, you know, that was the one thing we were talking about in the pre- How long can it take for that offensive line to come together? And they just haven't really played that well. Um, but the defense has been a little bit of a different story for for Vanderbilt. The defense has been fine. They played well. Um, they've really been fighting and playing hard to keep them in every game. Um, you know, for most of the first half, like I said, they were up 7 to nothing. Um, and then, you know, it just seemed like once South Carolina took the lead that, you know, you just knew they were not going to be able to get back in the game uh, with that offense. So I uh, just want to give a little bit of love to Derek Mason and that Vanderbilt defense um, because they are still playing hard. Yeah, it's like Vanderbilt's losing, but it, you can't necessarily say Derek Mason's a bad coach just because they're losing because they actually do compete when they play, and it, you can kind of see it with their defense. Yeah, we just need to see like them get some more pieces on the offensive side, and you know, it, it's all you're always building at Vanderbilt. You know what I mean? You're always building towards those those big years. Um, you know, you're not going to be able to compete for bowls every year um, until they start 
You know, I mean, we, we say this every time we talk about Vanderbilt, but until they start putting more money into that program and uh, the facilities and the stadium and all that stuff, you know, they, they can't really expect to be much more than a, you know, a, I guess a, a rebuilding type program. I mean, they, you know, they're always going to have to be building towards those one or two years. And, um, you know, it's just, it's going to be tough in those years where, you know, you lose a lot of guys and you're having to play a lot of young guys who uh, don't have a lot of experience. I mean, this is kind of what you're going to get, um, you know, then you got to just build towards those season, those senior laden teams. And um, like last year, you're right. And I mean, I think defensively, <laughs> you know, they show a lot, you know, like we're talking about, like they just show a lot of emotion. They play sound football. They're a solid defensive team, but um you know, their, def their defense has gotten significantly better as the season's gone on because they really struggled early in the season. But uh, just offenses just not come together, and they just need, uh, you know, they need some players to step up, and they need to, you know, <laughs> develop some guys and find a quarterback, most importantly. Do we have a what a chicken for the week? I mean, honestly, like, I was – well, yeah, I mean, I, I was actually going to say um, uh, uh, Willie Taggart. Um and that was before the, the news even broke today that he had been fired by Florida State. Um, I mean, losing by 17 points at home to a really bad Miami team in a rivalry game, like, that is just – I mean, man, that's pathetic. Like, I just can't really – there isn't really anything I can say um, that would do justice to kind of how embarrassing that is. And if you're a Florida State fan, I mean, that is just – that is rough. I still think Arkansas – the way Arkansas lost is even more embarrassing. Especially yeah, since Chad Morris yeah. like guaranteed a win or whatever he said to say like we're gonna win or play hard. Right. It's it's not just that you know the guaranteeing a win. It's a game that Arkansas had circled too. Like you know that they had that game circled in their locker room. You know not just from you know last weekend, but for a few weeks now it's a game that they really thought they had a chance to win. You know being at home and they come out and completely lay an egg and you know allow Ark allow Mississippi State to rush for what three hundred yards in the first half alone. Kylan Hill went off after he's been, you know, pretty much non-existent for the last month. He gets back on track and gets over 200 yards in this game. I mean, that was just, you know, a pitiful performance. And, of course, you know, Ben Hicks comes in, doesn't play that well. I mean, it just seems like it's just been back and forth between, you know, Ben Hicks, Nick Stark all year. I mean, that's another thing about Arkansas. They don't have a quarterback either. I mean, they don't have a lot of stuff, man. Ben Hicks, ben Hicks has, like – I mean, I understand that, like, he's – had some experience in the offense and, like, whatever. But Ben Hicks is not an SEC quarterback. Ben Ben Hicks should not be playing in this conference, like, whatsoever. At least Starkle, like, has some ability. Like, he's played terrible this year, and I'm not <laughs> trying to, like – I'm not trying to, like, say that Starkle is, you know, a good – but at least Starkle has, like, some ability. You know what I mean? At least he can, like, do something. He's got, like, a decent – he's a big dude with, like, a decent arm. Like, I mean, Hicks, like – I mean, seriously, he literally looks like they just pulled some dude off the street to play quarterback for him. And I'm not trying to be, like, like too, you know. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be too disrespectful towards the guy. Like, I'm sure, like, I mean, I, he's obviously way better than me. But, like, I mean, it's just – if you're playing quarterback in the SEC, like, you need to have a significantly higher talent level than he has. That's all. I mean, that's pretty much it. Like, I mean, I feel like out of the four quarterbacks in their team, he's easily the least talented out of all of them. What do you got for us, JB? All right, so we got a few topics. Um, one of them is uh, we'll do this real quick. Uh, you can we don't have to start on it tonight, but uh, there are seven coaches, Alex, that I believe are very possible that could get fired. You know, before the season's over or when the season ends, 
And we should probably set an over-under on how many of them will get fired before the season ends. And I'll go ahead and uh, give you the list. Hold on, hold on. Are you are you just looking at Power Five? I'm assuming. No, no. This is SEC. Oh, because you know, because you know, yes, because you know, last year we did not have a single coach fired, no turnover in the conference. So you know, we are overdue this year to have some turnover, and we're going to have a lot of turnover this year. But we still don't really have a clear idea who is going to get canned. But I'm going to go ahead and give you a list of coaches. I got seven of them from our conference, and I want and. You can, or we can all decide, you know, right now or later, and over under on how many of them are going to get canned. Are you ready for the list? Yeah. All right, so we're going to start off with uh, Barry Odom at Missouri. Uh, we got Will Muschamp at South Carolina. We've got Derek Mason at Vanderbilt. We've got uh, Gus Malzahn at Auburn. Uh, Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State. Uh, Matt Luke at Ole Miss. And then Chad Morris at Arkansas. And so you're, you're excluding Jeremy Pruitt now, right? I am not putting Jeremy Pruitt on the list right now. I think as of now, he is safe. I think I think if they finish 5-7, and seven, you know, with the win over Vanderbilt, I think he's relatively safe. I actually think he'd probably get another year even if they finish 4-8, and eight, honestly. But, uh, I mean, at, at the beginning of the year, I would have had him on the list, and we would have had eight. I mean, we could add Jeremy Pruitt to the list if you want. I mean, I don't no. see why not. I guess we could, so then that would make eight coaches. But I was thinking about setting an over-under – maybe around uh, three or four, maybe three of these coaches that will get fired, you know, at the end of the year. You want to set the over-under at three? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think who, who out of that list I, I think will actually get fired. But, yeah, three. Cause, I mean, I think seven's way too high. So, it'd be like – Oh, yeah. I'm not, saying like, all, I'm not saying all those coaches are getting fired. You'd have to set it at I would definitely wager that I think three of those coaches will get fired. You'd I mean, to... I think you can make an argument for all seven, but I mean, maybe a good over under would be three. It'd be three and a half as your over under. Yeah, we can do an over under three and a half. I mean, there could be as many as five fired, or maybe only two get fired. But I definitely think that that you know, out of those seven, you know, I would say a lot, a, a few of them are definitely going to be gone after this year. It really makes you wonder, like the pecking order. If you know, seven, I don't, I doubt seven coaches are going to get fired. But if seven coaches do get fired, and there's seven schools looking for new coaches, you really are going to figure out quick who the pecking order is for the coaching free agents, like where they. Really you definitely will, because some of these schools are going to have the same pool of candidates. Uh, not saying at all that these schools are going to have the same. You know, they're not all going to be looking for a coach this year. But if Mississippi State and Ole Miss and Arkansas were all looking for a coach. This offseason, I guarantee all three are going to have probably about the same pool of candidates. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We can we can talk about who we think will actually get fired because there's still a little bit yeah. of season left to play. Yeah, we still got a, you know less than a month of the season left. But also uh, one more topic I'll touch on. We don't have to talk about it too long, but uh, just some uh, New Year's Six uh, scenarios for the SEC. I would think right now, just judging by the rest of the schedule for these teams, I think we're going to get four teams that are going to either make the playoff or the New Year Six, just based off how they finish the season. I think Florida is going to be a lock to make it. I think they've run the table. They'll finish 10-2. and two. They'll make a New Year Six. I think Georgia's going to make a New Year Six just by virtue of making it to Atlanta and assuming they lose the SEC championship. I do think the loser of BAM and LSU is going to definitely be in a New Year Six and maybe an outside shot at the playoff. And then, obviously, the SEC champion will make it you know to the playoff as well. So that's four teams. Now, the biggest wild card to me is Auburn. If they can find a way to split Georgia and Alabama, then I think they get to New Year's Six as well. So that would make three teams in the New Year's Six, or actually maybe three or four. 
And that's where we get to the pecking order because I'm sure you know how the uh, the bowls are lined up for the New Year Six for the SEC. No, I don't. Uh, that's exactly what I'm wondering right now because I'm trying. Okay. To how All right. So them. right now the the priority bowl is the Sugar Bowl. That's for the that's for one SEC team. The second priority bowl would be the Orange Bowl, and then after that you got the Fiesta and the uh, Cotton Bowl that are at larges. And I would assume if we had three teams in the New Year Six and you know one in the playoff you would have a third team going to the Cotton Bowl, which I think would be one of the West teams, either, uh, you know, Alabama or LSU or Auburn that would end up going what's there. The, what's the playoff called this year? Because, I mean, they, they switch them back every year, what the playoff is called, like which each bowl game is, the semifinal game. Uh, I think the Peach Bowl is one of the semifinal games. And maybe I'll remember what the other bowl is. I, I know the Peach Bowl is one of them this year. I can't remember – what it is, but uh, what I can tell you is that the SEC's definitely got four that are going to a New Year's Six or the playoff, and then a potentially a fifth one, depending on how Auburn, you know, wraps up their season. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm about to look it up. Don't you worry. Um, but yeah, um, the only question is because Florida would be like the last team in. I mean, I guess you could say Auburn's in there, but um, if they beat Georgia or Alabama, but um, Florida going ten and two. That's why I was wondering if there's still enough. New Year's Six Bowl spots for that. Oh, yeah, by far. I mean, I think if you finish 9-3 and in the SEC, you're going to make it into a New Year's Six most of the time. I mean, Kentucky didn't last year, but, I mean, as long as Florida runs the table the rest of the way, which I expect them to, they'll make it. I think that Auburn, if they finish 9-3 and with the resume they have, you know, and and plus they're 12th in the poll right now still, I think they'll probably still uh, make it to a New Year's Six. I mean, obviously Georgia is probably going to run the table all the way to the uh, SEC championship, barring that they, you know, win at Auburn. Even if they do lose at Auburn, I still think they could uh, make it to a New Year's Six just because they would only have three losses if they, you know, lost the SEC championship and Auburn. So I think they would still make it. And then obviously Alabama and LSU, they're both going to be either in the playoff or in New Year's Six. It's the Peach Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl that are the um, semifinal games this year. And then the championships in. Uh, New Orleans. I don't know if you already said that or not, but I'm just clearing that up. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There, Yeah, there could be that many SEC teams. I don't know how much you want to talk about it more than that, but I, it's kind of obvious that Florida's going to run the table from here on out. Georgia's going to run the table. Yeah. Well, Georgia and Mike could, could lose to Auburn, I guess. Um, Alabama and LSU are only going to lose to each other, and then that's probably it. Maybe the SEC championship game, but yeah. I don't now, know. The, now, the, what I'm curious about is um, the Bama LSU loser. Do they make the playoff? I mean, that's going to be the biggest talking point that we're going to have at the end of the season. Because I, I expect LSU to run the table no matter what happens after the Alabama game. Alabama, I would probably expect them as well. I mean, they still got a tough one at Auburn. But that's going to be the biggest uh, debate we're going to have uh, come, de- come December is does the Alabama or LSU loser get into the college football playoff? Because I think these two are definitely top four teams in the country. But I'm curious to see what the committee is going to do. Because no, obviously one of them is not going to be a conference champion, and one of them is going to finish the regular season 11-1. So I'm just curious if, uh, you know, the SEC gets a second go-around with getting an 11-1 non-conference champion making the playoff. Well, LSU can afford to lose the Alabama game more than Alabama can, I think, because um, I don't know what the official, official like criteria is for the playoff committee. But I think it's based off of body of work more than it is like the eye test. And if you look at LSU's strength of schedule versus Alabama's, they've they've played better teams. Uh, yeah, 
So I think I think Alabama going eleven and one, losing to LSU, um, they're going to be in the discussion. But I don't know if they'll get in, depending on how the other conferences do. But it's uh, it's going to be tough for them to get in if all the other Power Five conferences have um, a one loss team with a champion. It's just going to be tough. It can happen. It's happened before, but um, it's going to be tough. Yeah, I mean, I think just this is just my opinion. But if LSU loses to Alabama. I think they're in. Like, if, if they lose to Alabama and that's their only loss, I think they're going to be in. Yeah. Um, you know, even if Alabama's undefeated or, like, it's like a one-loss Georgia and maybe, like, a one-loss LSU, like, I still think that LSU's going to get in. I mean, you know, you look at, like, the other conferences. I mean, Oklahoma already has a loss. Oregon already has a loss. Um, I just think that LSU would be in over both of those teams. Um and then, obviously, I think Clemson and Ohio State are both going to finish the season undefeated. I mean, I hope it doesn't happen. But, you know, I think definitely Clemson's going to be in. Uh, the SEC champ is going to be in. And then I think Ohio State's going to finish undefeated. So, I really only at least one spot left for, you know, possibly Oregon slash Utah or, um, you know, Oklahoma. Or LSU. Or, like, a one-loss, you know, second SEC team. And I just feel like the second-loss SEC team is just going to have a better strength of schedule uh, better body of work because uh, right now, I mean, Oklahoma's biggest win right now is uh, Texas. I mean, who you know just lost to TCU last week um, and almost lost to Kansas a couple weeks ago. I mean, you know, Texas is a, a solid win, but it's not a good best win. Um, so I mean, I just I worry about Oklahoma's strength of schedule a little bit, and then you know, as far as the Pac-12 team. You know, especially if it's Oregon. I mean, Oregon's one losses to an SEC team that isn't, you know, even a first-tier SEC team. So, um, you know, I don't know, like, how much that actually matters to the committee. But, um, you know, I I hope that it is just the four best teams and they don't try to just pull, like, a, you know, every conference needs to be represented type thing and then go with, a, you know, West Coast team just to draw more fans in or whatever. Yeah, I'm a kind of a believer in like the if they're gonna if they're gonna have a close call between getting two SEC teams in and getting another conference in, I think they're gonna try to get another conference in over an SEC team because I just think the money and ratings would be better for everyone involved. Another conference got in. Yeah, well. and I, I don't like that idea either. I, I would hope that the committee does not think about ratings and money when it comes to it. I think I really hope they go more by the eye test and the resume. Because, I mean, I test and resume-wise, LSU looks a lot better than Oklahoma, Utah, and Oregon. I mean, if we're talking about, you know, just right now. Yeah, Oklahoma's – I mean, Oklahoma does look good. I, I think they look good besides the loss against State. Uh, the thing I, I wrote down here that y'all haven't mentioned yet, um, which I guess I can understand, but it's something we should still talk about, is Baylor's like, what, 8-0, 9-0 eight, eight, no, no now? Um, they, eight, no. they barely beat West Virginia uh, on Thursday night, Halloween. So yeah, they barely beaten a few teams this year. They don't look good, but they keep winning. And like, if you look at their schedule, um, they have Oklahoma, which could be a loss. But then um, Texas and Kansas, Texas, I don't think it's going to be hard. Texas, they could lose to, I guess. But Oklahoma is in Waco. Uh, I don't think Oklahoma's going to lose to Baylor. But I mean, it would be interesting to talk about if they they did uh, kind of run the table there. I mean, they don't they don't look good. I think they would get killed by Georgia, Alabama, LSU, and probably even Florida too, but um, they are 8-0, and maybe we should talk about them just a little bit. Well, they are only a one-point favorite against a 4-4 four and four TCU team next week. <laughs> so, I mean, to me, that should tell you something about, like, how good of a team they actually are. 
I mean, look, Baylor has been really good this year. I really like Matt Roll. Um, he's definitely had a really solid season this year. They've had some good wins, um, you know, specifically going on the road and blowing out Oklahoma State like they did. It was really impressive. I uh, got a big win over Ohio State – or, I'm sorry, Iowa State, and then uh, Kansas State as well. They handled pretty easily. So, I mean, those are three pretty impressive wins over teams that are borderline top 25. So, um, you know, it's definitely been a good year for them. But, uh, you know, with some of these games coming up, I just think their luck's going to run out eventually. And, um, you know, I just don't uh, – I don't see it really being a – I guess I'm not going to say issue, but – I don't expect Baylor to finish the season undefeated. I'll just leave it at that. It's kind of like Minnesota. Minnesota is undefeated, but then they play um, Penn State and they play. I don't know if they play Ohio State or not, but they're um, it's gonna be tough for them to finish out. Well, they say yeah. I was about to say they still have to play Penn State and Wisconsin and Iowa. So yeah, so it's definitely three losses. Um, but that's another thing is that all these coaching coaching jobs opening up eventually. Um, there's coaches that keep getting talked about. I don't know if you all saw the report about Urban Meyer or USC wanting Urban Meyer. Like, that's their ultimate goal is to get him. Even before they fire uh, Clay Helton, they're already, like, thinking about let's go in and get Urban Meyer. And then I've even seen P.J. Fleck for Florida State, which I like P.J. Fleck as a coach now, but I just think that's a bad fit uh, just from where he's from and going to Florida. But then again, uh, Willie Taggart was from Florida, and he sucks at Florida State, so. Um, I don't know what y'all think about those two things. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really a big believer in the whole, like, fit the culture type thing. I think you just need to go hire the best coach you can get. Um, and hiring coaches is not an exact science. Um, I mean, I just – I feel like there's really no perfect way to approach it. I think you just got to go with the best coach you can find. And I, I wouldn't worry about, like, where they're from or anything like that. I think it – I think it's just, it, it'll serve you well to just go hire the best coach. I mean, they look at Nick Saban. He's from, like, West Virginia. No ties to Alabama at all. Um, you know, Dabba Queen from Alabama. No ties to South Carolina at all. Like, it just – it doesn't really uh, make that big of a difference. I just think that, um, you know, it's it's good, and it's a good story when you have a situation like Ed Orgeron at LSU, but not every situation is going to be like that. You just need to go hire the best coach. Are we – already thinking that Urban Meyer is going to be the next coach at USC or a coach somewhere soon? I mean, I don't know about next year, but I definitely feel like that's going to happen at some point in the future. Yeah. Um, if, if I had to guess. Yeah. Um, last question is, um, I'm not sure how the New Year's Six works, but there's a, there's obviously a group, there's a group of five representative in one of the New Year's Six bowl games, but do y'all know which bowl game it is exactly? Yes, it's going to be the Cotton Bowl. Uh, that's where I believe the uh, group of five is going to be going to. I think that's what I looked at uh, a couple of days ago when I was doing some research on it. And, yes, yeah, so that means um, – and that goes back to the scenarios that I was talking about. With the SEC getting four teams, if only one of them makes the playoff, there's probably going to be an SEC team put in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, which means, if you know, hypothetically, if Memphis runs the table and makes it, Memphis is probably going to get matched up with uh, maybe Bama or LSU. Wouldn't that be something? Well, if they didn't make it, what about like why would it not be Georgia? I'm just I'm just throwing hypotheticals out there. I would think they would send one of the West teams to, to Dallas because they wouldn't have to travel as far. I mean, I don't know. It may not make a difference. I mean, I could see Florida being sent to the Orange Bowl, Georgia to the Sugar, and then uh, Alabama, Auburn, LSU being sent to Dallas. I mean, who knows? Yeah, Georgia would be the last team I would want to play just because their defense is so good. And 
We're obviously not going to stop anybody's offense, but like I, I just don't want to. You play could, uh, you could finally get your revenge for them stealing Marlon Brown from Memphis. <laughs> yeah, Marlon Brown. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. That was that was back in the uh, Larry Porter days. So no harm there. He was he's never gonna catch touchdown passes with uh, Larry Porter as a coach. But uh, yep, I think that might be the end of the show. Um, unless y'all have anything else, to, I think we're about to wrap it up. No, that's all I got. Um, thank everybody for listening. Um, if you're an Arkansas fan, I do. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, we're all we're all with you. We've all been there before, and. Uh, Hope you guys make it through this. All right. All right. Uh, we will do the week 11 preview in a couple of days. Can't wait to get it going a couple of days. See you then. Thanks for tuning in to another outstanding episode of the SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. Be sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SEC Slow Smoked. Spread the good word on this podcast like the chili and cheese on your fries. If you like this podcast, tell a friend because there's plenty to go around. Oh, yeah.